Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within, historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival, annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions. Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do, and how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do when she really puts her mind to it. It also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day. This is the Gospel Feast Podcast for those that need a little meat after the milk. It's time to feast on the Word. We have just one chapter left in the book of Ruth, and I have been told that it contains some wonderful surprises. So, read, let's get to it. Ruth and Naomi are today beloved by Jews as the mothers of David and Solomon. Christians know them as the mothers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tradition further holds that it was in the fields of Boaz and Ruth that angels appeared to shepherds, announcing the birth of the Lamb of God. Their good and righteous examples have indeed made them famous in Israel. Ruth 4.13 So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. Gone was her eternal bitterness, 
restored was the pleasant woman home again in Israel. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. We have a little housekeeping we can do to round out our story. Jewish tradition says that it was Naomi's neighbors who named the child, just as the Bible says. This is odd. When does a father, mother, or even grandmother not pick a child's name? They called him Obed, meaning servant. His full name was likely Obadiah, which means servant of Jehovah, with Obed being for short. Enough people in town called him Obed long enough that the name stuck. We have no record as to what Ruth thought of the name. Perhaps she liked it. Tradition goes on to say that Boaz did not live to see Obed grow into maturity. He was already older than Ruth, and she did outlive him. The rabbis make note that Obed, as a name, does not exist in the family names of Boaz, and so here we may have seen the first signs of trouble. We do know that the name Obed can be found in the tribes of Esau, and this may have been the subtle slap at Boaz for conceiving a son with a Moabitess. Oh my, that is interesting. Uh, please go on. We will yet talk about the antithesis of Mount Zion, which is Mount Esau. You will remember that Uncle So-and-So did not want to mar his bloodline by marrying Ruth. We also examined how Boaz saw her goodness over her heritage. His father had been a savior on Mount Zion by converting his mother, and Boaz had done the same for Ruth. We are too quick to our own peril to forget that Satan is abroad in the land, stirring up the hearts of men in all manner of contention. It is always worse when he can stir up a family. With Boaz dead, questions of inheritance arose. Boaz had other children from his first wife. He had been a widower when he married Ruth. That we know for certain. Being an Obadiah, a servant of Jehovah, is a good thing. Being just a Obed, a servant in a house of Jewish princes, may have been no better than being a dog. The Bible does give us a clue. Although we are not certain of the time frame, See what you make of this. Judges 3, 12 And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. Remember that the rabbis say that Ruth was the daughter of Eglon, king of Moab. We are still in the reign of the champions before King Saul. When the Israelites needed some correction, the Lord would send their enemies to make life rough on them. It does lead one to wonder if Eglon felt that he had rights to Boaz's wealth. After all, Ruth was his daughter, and Orpha was as well. She was Kylon's legal widow. This would have given her claim on Elimelech's property. Whatever the case may be, we do know that Elgon did not succeed in reaching Bethlehem. He did, however, retake the city of the palm trees from Israel. There he established a new palace for himself. 
This was on the ruins of Jericho, from which Rahab's family were the only known survivors. Rahab was Obed's grandmother. Perhaps Eglon felt the land was now legally his. We don't have all the answers. What we can surmise fairly is that all of this would not have made Ruth very popular with the people. We know this is true from three additional events, two in the life of King David and one from the life of Obed's son, Jesse. The rabbis say that Jesse was a man of wealth, but that his wealth came from great flocks of sheep and not from grain. We know Boaz had been rich in grain. It does lead one to speculate that Boaz's older family took the land and that somehow Obed made his way with sheep. Whatever the happenings, it seemed that Jesse, Obed's son, rose above it. When he came of age, he married Natsbat, the daughter of Adael. They would have at least seven sons and two daughters. It is said that before David was born, two important events happened to Jesse. First, he became head of the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of Torah law in his day. This would have made him one of the most distinguished leaders of his time. The Talmud does say that he was such a good man that the only reason he had to die was because our mother Eve had eaten the apple. A bit dramatic, but it makes the point. Secondly, Tradition says that Jesse became deeply discouraged that he had no right to his blessings in Israel because he had the blood of Moab in his veins. This fear so overcame him that he found no relief until the day Samuel the prophet showed up and anointed his youngest son David as king of Israel. God can't make you any more of an Israelite than to make you father of the anointed king of Israel. This concern has some bearing because it shows up again in the book of Gad. In the days of King David, a man from Moab questions his legitimacy in Israel as a son of Ruth. The Lord finally ends the debate himself. Let's read it. And when the feast of Passover came upon the fifteenth of the first month, a shepherd of the children of Moab came to King David and spoke with him, saying, My lord the king, thou dost know that thy servant has been loyal to Israel from his youth. So now, O Lord, I ask thee to circumcise my flesh to take away my reproach, and let me sit among thy people Israel. And David said, The Lord does not want thy people, for he has commanded that an Edomite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Therefore it is not right for you to seek thy rest and prosperity among us. Nevertheless, how can I serve thee this day in friendship? And the man from Moab answered, Is it not true that Ruth was of my people, and that thou, my lord, art one of her sons and descendants? Hast not the Lord given thee rest and prosperity in Israel forever? Then said the king, It is a strong argument thou hast made. Stand here by me, as I ask from the mouth of the Lord. And so David asked the Lord about the argument put forth by the son of Moab, saying, O my Lord, my Lord of the enemies of heaven, teach thy servant the wonder of thy law, that I might know how to bless this man by thy word, that I might know what should be done for him. And the Lord spake to Nathan the prophet, saying, Go to my servant David, and tell him what I bid thee. And Nathan went to David into his chambers, and said, This is the word of the Lord of hosts. I have heard thy prayer. Say unto the Moabite, Thou art male, 
a son of Moab, and not a daughter of Moab. I never said nor caused it to be said that a Moabite woman nor an Ammonite woman could not enter my assembly. For the women of Moab and Ammon belong unto me, but the males of Moab and Ammon are cursed of the Lord, and are forbidden from entering my assembly until the tenth generation has passed. And when the man of Moab heard the word of the Lord, he cried out in sorrow, I am forbidden from entering the assembly of the Lord. And so David took him, and made him a shepherd among his own flocks, and he was there until the third year of the reign of King Solomon, and he died. And he had a daughter, named Sephira, and she was very beautiful to look upon. And King Solomon took her for a concubine, and she found grace in the king's sight above all the concubines of the kingdom. And she became the head of all the concubines of Solomon's house. And thus her father's name was had in Israel forever. Impressive. Your attempt at voice work was pretty interesting, to say the least. Thanks. It was kind of fun. I always have more sympathy for artists after I try stuff, and you can see how hard it really can be. No more is said about Ruth after the prophet Nathan made his judgment known of the Lord. Obviously, David wasn't concerned about it much at all. Many years later, when Solomon built the temple, he named one of the two great bronze pillars before the doors Boaz. They were a symbol of the strength of the Lord's house and the Davidic claim. They were symbolic of the legs, or strength, of the family of Boaz. We know that the strength of the strength of the family was the pure son of Boaz's line, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be from Boaz's fields of wheat that the bread of life would be born in Bethlehem. It would be from Jesse's flocks that the Lamb of God would be born there as well. It was in these fields that angelic hosts sang to the lowly shepherds. The true Obed, from God, had been born. This humble servant was also the son of David, the rightful king of Israel. We have one more interesting story to offer. Ruth's father, King Eglon, grieved Israel until the people finally repented and asked for a champion to save them. The Lord called up Ehud, a Benjaminite. The tribe of Benjamin had a unique genetic gift. They were ambidextrous, meaning that they were equally able with both their right and left hands. That would be nice. The Lord used this trial to Israel's favor. Here is the story of the fall of King Eglon, with a clarification and interpretation. Hebrew can be a very blunt language, and so the King James translators softened the words. Judges 3.15 But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon the king of Moab. When the children of Israel repented and cried out to the Lord for help, he heard them and raised up a left-handed champion to save them from King Eglon of Moab. His name was Ehud the son of Gera. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges, of a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. Ehud made for himself a two-edged dagger about twelve inches long, and strapped it to his right thigh, hiding it underneath his clothing. In other words, Ehud had a secret dagger hidden against his right thigh. He likely also had a sword strapped to his left hip, too. Most men are right-handed, and Ehud pretended to be right-handed. Thus no one expected that he would have a weapon hidden in such a way that he could grab it 
and use it with his left hand. He would have surrendered his visible sword at the palace gates. Since it was a right-handed man's sword, no one thought he would have a hidden left-handed weapon. Pretty clever. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. Ehud brought the tribute money Israel owed to King Eglon, who was a very fat man. Now note, Ruth's dad is a very fat man. In other words, his fat had fat. He was a fat fat, two wax, eastern. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. After paying the tribute money, Ehud sent his entourage away ahead of him, saying, Return to Israel. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal, and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence, and all that stood by him went out from him. But Ehud lingered, and when he had reached the idols of stone near Gilgal, he turned and said to Eglon, I have a secret message that I am to deliver for your ears only. Eglon said, Then keep silent until we are alone. And he ordered everyone in his court to leave them. And they went into Eglon's private quarters where it was more pleasant. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. Now that Ehud and Eglon were alone, Ehud approached him and said, God has this message for you. So the king arose to hear it. And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And Ehud pulled the hidden dagger from his thigh and stabbed Eglon in the gut. The king staggered and flopped down. And the haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade, so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. The king was so fat that his fat closed in around the dagger, so that Ehud couldn't pull it out for the fatness. Then the king's bowels emptied out on the floor. In other words, Eglon was so fat-fat that his fat slapped around the blade, and Ehud couldn't pull the dagger back out. The dirt that came out is, of course, fecal matter, which means that Ehud had slit open the king's intestines. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. Ehud quickly locked the door and escaped down the king's latrine. When he was gone out, his servants came, and when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. After too much time had passed in silence, the king's servants returned and found the doors locked. They thought that the king might be on the toilet, so they waited. They were afraid to disturb him if he was taking a dump. And they tarried till they were ashamed, and behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them, and behold, their lord was fallen down dead on the earth. They waited until they felt it was shameful to wait any longer. So they found a key and opened the door. To their horror, they found the king dead in his own filth on the floor. And Ehud escaped while they tarried, and passed beyond the quarries, and escaped unto Sirath. The long delay in opening the king's door gave Ehud and his men time to escape. And it came to pass, when he was come, that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them. When they reached the hill country of the tribe of Ephraim, they blew the shofar horn and called Israel to battle. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. 
and they went down after him, and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab, and suffered not a man to pass over. Ehud cried, Follow me, the Lord has given us victory over Moab. And the men of Israel rallied to Ehud, and they pushed Moab back over the Jordan River. And they slew of Moab at that time about ten thousand men, all lusty, and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. They killed about ten thousand of Moab's strongest warriors that day. These were mighty men, but the Lord had spoken, and so none escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. Moab was conquered, and Israel had peace for eighty years. Whatever her beginning, Ruth prevailed in the end. When she died, she was buried with honors, and Jesse was buried next to her. The great prophet Samuel, who anointed King David, wrote the book of Ruth to preserve the story for the ages. Her grave today is called the Tomb of Ruth and Jesse. It sits in an old stone structure atop a hill in Hebron, which today is also a synagogue. Thousands visit the site yearly, especially on Shavuot, when the Book of Ruth is read throughout Jewry. Over the centuries, many Jews were buried nearby, and later Christian crusaders also buried their comrades nearby her tomb. Rabbi Moshe Busola wrote in 1523 AD that Ruth's tomb housed an underground cave, which connected it to the tomb of Machpelah. Others have confirmed this to be true. In other words, Ruth's tomb is part of the tomb which Abraham bought for Sarah. The bigger point is this. By being buried in a tomb reserved for the greatest matriarchs of Israel, beside her reluctant grandson Jesse, Ruth was finally accepted, and at home forever, in Israel. The grandmother of the king of Israel. But in case you need it beaten home, the Bible ends her book with this. Ruth 4.18 Now these are the generations of Pharez. Pharez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram and Ram begat Amenadab, and Amenadab begat Nashlan, and Nashan begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. Ruth is famous today in Israel. David means beloved in Hebrew, and indeed he was. Christians tend to focus on David's demise, but Jews revere him like patriots revere George Washington. The Lord himself called David a prophet and chose him to be his earthly father and throne. David was a great man and should stand as a sad example to us all that even great men can make bad choices, choices that will need to be answered for and explained at a future day. The Bible does not record the name of Uncle So-and-so to make a point. While he may have been a good man, like Orpha, he took the easy path. Sometimes the straight and narrow leads straight and narrowly straight uphill. Be grateful for the gentle plateaus you find along the way. Just don't rest there too long. The book of Ruth shows the tremendous good and joy that righteous women bring to the world. The goodness is only magnified when done in the shadow of our Savior, our one both mighty and strong. He has carved out a space for his daughters to bless the family of man, from tiny Bethlehem around the world. The world needs women like Ruth and Naomi desperately now. President Russell M. Nelson, a modern prophet of the Lord, said this, Attacks against the church, its doctrine, and our way of life are going to increase. Because of this, we need women 
who have a bedrock understanding of the doctrine of Christ and who will use that understanding to teach and help raise a sin-resistant generation. We need women who can detect deception in all of its forms. We need women who know how to access the power that God makes available to covenant keepers and who express their beliefs with confidence and charity. We need women who have the courage and vision of our Mother Eve. There is no better women in the entire world than the Sisters of the Church. The warm glow that emanates from the hearts and hearths reflected in the eyes of Mormon men and children is in large part the light cast back from their mothers, wives, and sisters. I have struggled terribly with how to conclude this beautiful feast that we call the Book of Ruth. Living in the last days, we are in the full swing of Isaiah's warning that men will be offended by a word. We have so accepted this contention that we no longer actively see it. We have accepted what we call today political correctness, that we are morally offended by things that once fell under the old elementary school rule, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. We used to teach this to children to help them understand that it's okay to disagree and that part of growing up is learning that sometimes people are rude. Just because someone says something you don't like doesn't mean your life is over. Our children used to know this, and today, not even the adults believe it. Today, we are more tolerant of sticks and stones than hurtful words. I have seen children called up before school councils for words. We have even amassed a set of words that are so hurtful that they are never to be spoken. Words that can only be mentioned safely by childish whisperings. You know, our word, the N-word, the L-word, the F-word. Are we children or adults? Are we adults or children? The irony, of course, is there is only one word that God has asked us not to use in vain, and nobody cares about that one. But use the R word, and you will lose your job and your good name in society. To the biblically correct thinker, all of these things are merely proof that the signs of the times are before us. The catch is that, if these signs are right, then the rest of the signs come next. And we already know how the last chapter of God's word ends. It would be wise to prepare for it and not fall into Satan's thinking traps to whatever extent we are still able. I say this because I know that parts of what's coming up this season will be hard for some, and I'm sorry about that. I am sorry that the amazing blessings of our modernity have come with so much corruption that much of the joy that could be embraced now is aligned with the fantasy world that Satan has created for us. So much of our modern expectations are fantasy, and when reality finally hits, there will be much sorrow that could have been avoided. Ironically, someday the world will place alongside the great milestones of civil rights history the day that Joseph Smith the prophet turned the keys of power in behalf of womanhood. He also left the church with a wonderful promise when he said, I will give you a key that will never rust. If you will stay with the majority of the Twelve Apostles and the records of the Church, you will never be led astray. Never be led astray? That's like having a cheat sheet on a test. That means Satan loses and we win. That is something I want. That is something I really want. Thank you for that key, Brother Joseph. Wow, that was a royal feast. There is so much more to these simple books than meets the eye. We know that these books are the tales left to us of real people dealing with their real-world problems. 
and unfortunately the many machinations of Satan all around them. It is encouraging to know that Ruth, and even David, had to deal with naysayers and family struggles and many petty things that make up our day-to-day -day lives. We can take courage in knowing that they held true to God in their day, and we can too. So, what is left? A great deal. We should talk some about celestial femininity and the beginnings of God turning the keys for his daughters in these last days. It is a great gift for all the human family. We rejoice in the emancipation of our sisters and their increasing rights on earth to exercise their free agency. The women of our human family today are capable of so much good, and greater condemnation too, because where much is given, much is expected. So true. Okay, we are eager to learn more about the great gifts God has for women in our next podcast. A very special thank you to Hollywood actor Jim Jepson for his voice talents. Thank you.